Hello and welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com. My name is Mike Casazza. Off week for the football team. Not for me. And believe it or not, not for Chris Anderson. The, no beach for me right now. Not yet. A little too cold now. Which is interesting because you sent me a text yesterday saying you were going to take off the rest of the week, but then come back next week. And it got very confusing for a while, and I don't think anybody really knew what was going on there. But uh, I'm glad to see that we followed through on this. Yes, absolutely. Can we start there? I don't uh, want to start. If... I don't want to talk about the old coach. I think it's lazy, and I think it's people who are like. <laughs> I think it's people who are just taking out angst on someone who can't fight back. Uh, and that that's a broad description of a lot of people. I understand that, but like, it, it's also a West Virginia podcast, and I don't think people want to come here to listen about the former West Virginia coach. But I am riveted fascinated consumed by obsessed with this story which is that Houston's star quarterback Heisman trophy candidate slam dunk best player is going to redshirt and come back to the team next year as will a a starting receiver who's been pretty productive the last two games both going to redshirt in the 2019 season and come back and play their senior seasons in 2020 I've never seen anything like this before Myriad reactions and responses, takes of all temperatures and variety. I don't know where to begin. I hope it doesn't end soon because, like I said, it's, it's got my attention like nothing else lately. And I'm always in the market for more opinions here. And I'm sure you have some. I have, I have a lot of them. And to be quite honest, none of them have anything to do with Dana Holgerson on this mm. matter. I don't think – I mean, it's just a coincidence, I guess, that, that it, he's involved in it. Uh, you know, at first, when it first came out, and obviously um, Joseph Duarte is the one that broke the news, but then there was another reporter, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, who reached out to King's father, and King's father, uh, you, you know, made it sound like he was leaving the program. And so I think the initial thought was, holy cow, things are bad in Houston. One in three, their best players quitting on the team and leaving and going somewhere else. Maybe other players are doing it too. And then once the dust kind of settled and, and we found out presumably the true story is that it was King's idea and that he maybe one other player is going to do it and, and he's going to come back to Houston. You know, that that changes the story for me from, oh, things are bad and it's a dumpster fire under Holgerson. And now in my eyes, has little to nothing to do with Dana at all. And I'm just looking at it like, holy cow, we've gone to the point with this player empowerment stuff that kids are just quitting on their teammates and being like, oh, this this year's not going as I'd hoped, so I'm out. Uh, we'll try to get back next year when, uh, you, you know, when I got better teammates. You guys kind of suck. See you later. Uh, I can't wrap my head around this. It is, it's blowing my mind right now. This alters the landscape for a whole bunch of reasons now. The the fifth-year postgraduate transfer thing was really, really weird when Jalen McCleskey, who popped up in this Houston world in the past week with the game-winning touchdown against the Cougars last week, um, he did it last year. He just bailed on the team at the beginning of the season in Oklahoma State, and people thought that was really weird. And then more people started to do it, and now you wonder, is this kind of a copycat thing? Are other players going to do this? And you know, how many more times are we going to see a player go, I don't want this to be my last year? I'm going to I'm going to back out of it. I think it's going to happen now. I mean, if this if this goes all the way through like they're saying it is, I'm sure we'll get into that in a second. It's it's a pretty 
curious statement. I don't think you can have this conversation without it being a Holgerson conversation because I think nationally people look at what's going on there right now and especially how they lost the game to Tulane and they think that it's Dana drinking a Red Bull in the house on fire, similar to that dog drinking coffee in the this is fine <laughs> meme. Um, it's not fine right now, and this looks like it's some type of symptom of what's going on. It might not be. It might be a solution, in fact, to what's going on. But I think a lot of people root for failures. You know, everybody wants an A or an F, and a B plus or a C minus isn't what they want. There, a team that's going to go six and six with Derek King is not what people want. And if this falls apart and he transfers and it's a bloody mess, then people are going to really like that. I don't think this is that. I think it's just something you look at and you tilt your head and you go. I've never seen something like this before because I have never seen something like this before. I feel like I say this every year, especially when it comes to player transactions, but this is truly unique. Um, I want to ask you a question, though. You grew up in the video game age. You played video games, right? Yes. You played NCAA football on PlayStation, whatever. Oh, yeah. You started a dynasty, and what did you do your first year? Uh, played all my youngest guys so that I could build up their skill set and develop them faster so that my team was a monster by year two or year three. That's a lie. You redshirted your best players. So <laughs> you'd be loaded. You'd be loaded in the second year. When you got your recruiting going, you'd have savvy veteran players who've been physically matured by a year developing, and then you'd have a whole year recruiting. <laughs> you'd have a great roster. Um, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but certainly you're familiar with the practice. And like this seems like it seems like a video game strategy where we always talk about how there should be somebody who's really adept at playing video games who understands clock management and how they can just kind of sit next to a coaster in the game. Well, here we go. We have our PlayStation armchair quarterbacking going on in college football administration. This is just like that. Uh, and here's my question. I, I get this, like you said, A or F. You want to be either competing for a championship or tanking for the first pick in the draft. But what? how do you tank – or whatever's going on here in college football. Like, does it, am I, is it, is Houston about to pull in like a top 25 class that I'm aware of and recruiting? And, you know, it, it shouldn't matter based on what King does or doesn't do, or they think they're going to hit the transfer market and it might, they might have more success if they can convince these other kids that King will be there next year now. I, I'm, like I said, it, this is, this is all just blowing my mind. I think their defense has a chance to be very good next year. If you look at their their two deep and some of their rankings, they have a pretty good defense, and they should be better than they are right now. Um, schedule is obviously not the same next year, so like it's going to be um, an easier go, I think, for an older defense that has more experience in this. Remember, this is first year for everything, everybody there, so second year should be easier. And they'll have, I want to say, darn near everybody who's really important and significant on defense back. I do think you can recruit a higher level of talent, not just for next year, but for the future, just by getting guys who can say, hey, you can play with De'Ara King for one more year. Wouldn't that be neat? So that's one thing, too. I think it helps in the in the here and now, but also in the off in the future. Does that speak to kids who are going to be there for three or four more years who may not even play for one year with King? Eh, I don't know. I think it's an interesting conversation. Um, I also think that, like, it's not a bad idea from the player's standpoint. And this is where things are kind of obtuse. But if, if you look at what King had said about the lack of continuity he's had, I think it's just his third head coach. He's never had a coordinator in back-to-back seasons. And he's had a career that's been interrupted at different times for different reasons. Um, he has pro ability. I'm not saying he's a pro pass or a pro player right now. But if you look at the way the quarterback position is going, not just in college, even in the NFL, this is not to say he's Kyler Murray, because he's not Kyler Murray. 
right now. What if he lights the world on fire next year and he spends a year practicing and then getting back in year two in the Holgerson system, which is conducive to quarterback stats? Um, that's a big carrot to hang over that kid and say, listen, if you just put in one more year, and maybe he's saying it to himself, man, if I just get myself on track, this offensive work will be really good on offense next year. Our defense will be great. I can have individual awards. Maybe I chase a highs and maybe my team wins 10 or 11 games. Perhaps we threaten the playoff or get in the playoff as an at-large if the system changes. Who knows, right? There's a lot out there, but like, I think that you could look at a player's perspective here and say this act really, while unusual, does make sense if you want to go outside the box. Well, yeah, you mentioned this the second year under Holgerson thing. I, I think I was looking, I was trying to find, pull it up real quick, but I wrote about that with Greer last year uh, and the year before and, and how just the leap that guys made in their second year under Holgerson. It happened with Gino, it happened with Skylar Howard, it happened with Clint Trickett, it's happened with Will Greer. So that's a, that obviously I think he could have a better year next year. And so, yes, it probably does help out his, his uh, pro prospects. Um, and, and again, but that's, this is why it's for me, it's not so much about the whole thing and really has, I mean, I know he's there and, and I know there's a lot going on there, but for me, I, I'm kind of narrowed, narrowed my focus on the fact that it, this is just a player saying, I forget my whole team. I need to worry about me's and mine and I'm just going to quit. And you guys are going to welcome me back with open arms next year. Cause I'm the best. And I'm going to try to get some awards and put up some crazy stats next year. Thanks. And that, that's just hard for me to, I, I, I've been for the players and, and them getting their just due and all this and that, but I think we're going a little too far now. They have some transfers, like like postgraduate players on offense. Kyle Porter plays running back for them, and there's some guys who moved in to play one or two years with this program, and that's a hard conversation. There are a lot of there are seniors on that roster. That's a hard thing to do, and and I think that's going to be a challenge. I mean, you're you are kind of balling up this season and saying, you know what, it didn't work out like we wanted to. Let's think about next year. You still have a lot of people who are not going to be okay with that. Whether they're not going to be back next year. But they are going to be back this next well, year. And have they even played delicate. one, one? I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, one uh, conference game yet? I mean, the, you know, all the talk about Tulane. Two, uh, yeah, Tulane was one. So you're one game into the conference. You're like, whip, I'm out. I just, it's all still there for the taking. You know, Dana said it every year that he was at West Virginia. The goal is to win the conference. The goal is to win the conference, and you're giving up on the conference after one game. Giving up on the season. I know. It's rough. It's, cra- it's crazy to think if one of like seven or eight things go differently in that two lane game. I think they missed two field goals. They obviously had the trick play that went against them. They dropped a pass that should have pretty much put that game away, I think. Um, and then obviously the touchdown mountain by McCleskey to win the game. I mean, those are some 50 50 plays, just toss up plays. And if just one of them goes different, they're two and two. They're one and oh in the conference. You know, they have two losses to top 10 teams. It's a very different story. And, and who knows if we even go down this road right now. Yeah, do you think he stays if they beat Tulane? You, it's. I mean, that's the big difference. It's the difference between two yeah. and two and one and three. You're one and zero in the conference. You have everything alive. You're feeling good. I don't think you're talking yourself out of it because that four game thing is the magic number. I don't think you're talking yourself out of it if you're two and two. It's a fascinating thing. And again, everything matters. You say that a bunch, but like everything matters. And a drop pass, a missed field goal, I mean, one or two fluke plays, it not only changes a game. 
it changes a season. It changes careers. It changes maybe the way that we talk about this player empowerment, this this like free agency era of college football. Just think about that. Like if we look back five or ten years now, this is very common. Or if it's not the first time it happened, or not the last time it happened, think about that. Just like something as small as a missed field goal or a drop pass or a trick play, how that's altered. Um, a lot of things that we thought we knew and how things were supposed to be done, and it's totally changed. It's crazy. Mm. Something else that's crazy. Uh, basketball starts Friday. Practice yeah. of West Virginia. And, like, I don't even want to go over it a whole lot. We have, like, two minor things that I think we should talk about um, that we know Jalen Bridges is not going to play this year. That's the plan, at least. Um, and we think it sounds like that Gabe uh, Gabe Osobuhin. Nice. I think. Uh, we think that he is probably going to have a transfer coming back sooner or later. We don't know what it's going to be, but it sure sounded like this in a Bob Huggins today that that was happening. So that's an impact player for this year and then for next year, too. But uh, the question on Bridges is answered now, and we were not sure. We kind of had hunches, but um, this went back and forth a little bit, and now it's come to a rest. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear. I don't know if anybody will ever address it or discuss it just what kind of change there with him? Because he was obviously a recruit in this class. And I believe when he was first approached by West Virginia and several other schools, there was a discussion about him going to prep school and reclassifying to 2020. And then I know for a fact later, West Virginia came back and said, no, we want you in this class, 2019. And he said, no. And he was going to prep school and he was going to Scotland campus up in Pennsylvania. And so what my understanding, my belief was that, you know, when he just changed his mind and, and enrolled early, you know, right after his official visit last month or enrolled late, excuse me, late, early, depends, I guess, how, how you look at it, um, late for the school year, early back in the 2019 class. He, I just assumed that, you know, they told him, hey, come in this class and you'll play. And that changed his mind, but obviously not. So I'm, I'm curious what changed there his situation, West Virginia situation, or if he just truly visited and was like, yeah, I should have jumped on this when I had the chance and, and discussed the opportunity to go ahead and get on campus as soon as possible. So it's, it's great. If he can redshirt, that's, you know, it might hurt West Virginia a little bit this year, but honestly, how much was he going to play this season? Um, but is huge for the future of the program. It does sound like they think that Gabe is going to play. Yeah. And that's a guy who maybe is an outside in four, which is really what they lack right now. I think they have enough position to cover it, but where they're missing minutes is at the four to the point that they think they could play him at Matthews there, which is kind of unusual. But, I mean, he's a skilled player, but a little bit different than your traditional four in the Huggins system. Uh, they also want to play him at three as much as possible because they really don't have a lot of other options there, at least in, again, the, the Huggins system sense. But if you can get this guy to play, um, that gives you some more size. Maybe you can stretch out Colburn and uh, Shebway a little bit more. Um, maybe you don't have to play Logan Route as much. Um, I, not, nothing against him, but I think we've seen that this team moves its best and fastest when he's on the bench. Although I will say he did open some eyes hey, in, in, in Spain. Were you not so. in Spain, Mike? That, was, not that Spain. was like a rim running Logan Route right there. Were you in Spain? Because I think you played for one of those teams. <laughs> I might have. A couple of them looked like me. We had uh, equal amounts of dad bod going on, for sure. So just a thing on the waivers, too. West Virginia is not going to say if they applied for one and what the status is. Huggins really intimated on Tuesday that he did. 
um, apply for one or wants to apply for one. And we reported here previously that they would love to do it. Um, we don't know if they went from love to to have done it, but it sounds like they have. And I'm telling you, they would not apply for it unless they were convinced they were going to get it. So it's really interesting what they avenues they might have pursued because he was dismissed from the other team, which means it wasn't necessarily his choice to leave. Maybe he was run off, but he might have been run off for a reason. But a coach can run a player off and the NCAA doesn't like that and kind of lets that player be eligible at his next school. Uh, Toronto, which is where he's from, is a lot closer to Morgantown than Arkansas. So perhaps that is a family thing you can do. I'm just curious. There's only a handful of things you can actually do um, to realistically get this, and West Virginia would not be wasting anybody's time with this, least of all the players. You don't want to get his hope up, but I don't think this was something they discussed upon his decision to transfer here, but it sounds like that they've looked into it. And if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, uh, they're going forward on this. Let's do a little bit more tea leaves, including ones that are colored red and blue. Bill Self. Uh-oh. This does I, not look good for Kansas. This is this is my shocked face. You can't see it because mm. we're doing a podcast. But I'm just stunned that, that Kansas cheats, Mike. Can you believe that? I this can't. Is, um, this is... I want to say that this is, I don't, this is going to sound disparaging, but this is a surprise to people who pay attention to basketball, but don't pay attention to basketball. <laughs> this has been like, this has been a ongoing thing for, what are we talking, two years now? Since the sneaker thing started to kick in and in the quiet corners of gyms and media days, people talk about this and say, Kansas, man, wait till Kansas. We'll see how serious they are when Kansas is mentioned. We'll see what happens when Kansas gets in the conversation. And here we are right now. It took some time. And I think what's noteworthy is that this did not come out of court records or any type of trial or testimony. This came from the NCAA. And they went right at Bill Self, too. Mm-hmm. And and they're implementing this new rule, of, uh, not new rule, but more strictly enforcing the you know head coach is responsible for what goes on in and around his program. And in that notice of allegations, they hammered Bill Self and damned him and talked about his responsibility and how he was involved. They, the NCAA for the, I mean, I don't want to give them too much credit because they actually have to do something, uh, you know, enforce these rules on them and and find them guilty or or whatever and and impose some penalties. But the way that notice of allegations came out, it seemed like the NCAA has got some teeth with this one. They're ready to go after Kansas for real. I'm not sure how they back down from this. I mean, the way that they wrote that and presented that, it's it's factual. And it sounds with some degree of conviction that it was put together. I'm not sure what makes them retreat on that. Um, I don't know what the defense is or the explanation is. I'm not sure how many of those texts were, were just, you know, oh, I was just kidding. Or how much you can say this guy's a booster. So, of course, he's going to say and promise these things. But in actuality, he didn't. Who knows? There might be some type of paper trail to the paper trail. But reading it and looking at it and just kind of, just just the, the rolling of the eyes of so many people who really know basketball here saying, yeah, it's about time. It makes you think that this might actually have some some legitimacy, which is really hard to believe. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I thought that the NCAA was going to hammer UNC after the academic thing, and they didn't do much of anything. So I, I will get my hopes up. Let's put it that way. Here's my question for you. How many points and rebounds does Silvio D'Souza have against West Virginia on January 4? <laughs> ah, man. Um, How is he eligible? I have no idea. I mean, he was named in that. Yeah. I, I don't. 
Who knows? He was he was reinstated. He missed a season. He had a two season ban, and he was reinstated between the first and two, second season. And now he's back in this again. Um, and perhaps perhaps he's included because what actually got him suspended for one season is what they're mentioning here. But like, I don't know how amateurism works, but it seems like it might be voided in some situations. Uh, again, just how there's a whole bunch of rubble here, and where this little rock slide is going to end up, I don't know. But again, another thing that's really got my attention is kind of fascinating, and, and it's in our little uh, sphere of interest. Yeah. Another one in our sphere of interest, um, Pat McAfee. Never too far from the program. Uh, he's never too far from your eyes and ears if you have a pair of functions because he's on TV or he's on the radio or a podcast or something all the time right now. Very successful, influential, former Mountaineer. But Chris explained he has some well-sourced bad feelings about his time at West Virginia. Yeah, he went on to his podcast the other day. And, well, it's kind of a radio show for right. The Zone. And said, you know, he doesn't feel comfortable coming back to West Virginia. He gets a lot of hate mail, death threats, everything for his performance in that infamous 13-9 loss to Pitt. Um, he had missed two short field goals again in the first half. I, I don't think many people, honestly, nowadays, especially really think of him as being the scapegoat for that game, but uh, I'm sure he had a rough time of it right after that. And he says that's a big reason he doesn't come back to Morgantown as often. I think it was originally presented that He's never been back, which is untrue. Um, he's obviously been around a little bit. Uh, not quite as much as I think you see him, like you said, he does everything. He's everywhere. He's in uh, on wrestling promos. He's on Thursday Night Football now with ESPN. He does has his own radio show, his own podcast. He's doing For the Brand. He does all this charity work. And very little to none of that has been at West Virginia. So it I hadn't put two and two together until he mentioned it. Um, and then, of course, Neil Brown hops in on social media and says, you're welcome anytime. Come on back. Uh, it's always good. That's always been a sticking point, I think, over the last several years of, of certain players saying that they didn't feel welcome, uh, whether it was like back of these comments about uh, his relationship with the fans or um, some other players' comments about relationships with the previous coaching staff so it's good to see neil brown kind of welcoming everybody with open arms okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I think it was a really revealing and, and kind of with depth comment that he made to in conversation that he, he got into there. I don't think he has anything against the fans or a fan. I think that he has a chapter of his life that he has risen above and gotten past and 
that chapter has some scars that probably haven't healed. And I don't think that he's okay with squaring it. I'm speaking for him, which doesn't make me comfortable, but like, I just feel like he doesn't want to go back to that place. Not physically. I think like emotionally, I don't want to go back to that place where things really hurt. I'm doing great. I work for the WWF. Sorry, the WWE. I work for the zone. I work for ESPN. I'm a media giant, which is what I always wanted to do. Um, he overcame a lot, I think, to do that stuff. I mean, he could have been quiet. He could have, you know, failed in any one of these uh, avenues if he had let things get too heavy and too burdensome for him, and he hasn't. And I wonder if the time will come for him. I don't think it's anything vindictive or whatever, but it sounds like he just has a negative association with the place because that place had a negative association with him for a while, and it's, frankly, hard to love, blame him for that. Do you think we see him back here soon? I do. I think you'll see him back uh, this year. I don't maybe too soon and he might be too busy obviously with all this Thursday night football stuff and his stuff with the zone. But um, I think at some point within the next calendar year, you will see Pat McAfee in Morgantown with a little bit of hoopla around it. Wow. Speaking of predictions, <laughs> we did kind of hint and intimate that Josh Sills was severely injured and that comes to fruition not to pat ourselves in the back here. Uh, unfortunately, that Josh Sills will miss the season, has had surgery to repair a shoulder. He was beat up in the upper torso and the lower torso, as you so eloquently <laughs> described last time. And now, out for the year, we can get into future stuff, red shirts and all that. Um, the offensive line has played better. This is not good news, though. No, I think uh, coming into the year, I called him the best offensive lineman on the team. I honestly thought he was... That was his role. It was it was close between him and McKivitz, but I was leaning towards Sills um, through the first two weeks. I don't think you could have said that. I do think it was McKivitz, and obviously the coaches did as well. But losing Josh Sills certainly hurts. Uh, Chase Barrett did an excellent job at right guard in the last game. John Hughes did well the game before that. But West Virginia was mostly concerned with with depth to start the year at offensive line they found a couple guys because of those uh changes that were kind of forced upon them but then to go back and lose sills you're back down another man that you thought you had just gained so um it's a big loss and you got to kind of be worried or concerned or uh you know what his plans are for the future he's uh, a redshirt junior this year who graduates in december and could have two years remaining um hopefully for West Virginia, that's in Morgantown, but we've seen that's not always the case. Yeah, I spent some time today trying to declutter a mess I made by accidentally describing the red shirt situation wrong. Yeah, and you dragged me into that. You dragged me and my good name into that one. Well, I didn't know what I'd done. You do not need to miss two game, two years to get a red shirt anymore, uh, which I said online, except I said you do need to miss two years to get a red shirt. I omitted a word on accident, and it changed the meaning, even though, like, I posted the explanation of the rule online, and, like, my you do need to miss two years post and my post of the explanation did not match up. I didn't realize it until today. Um, what, what the deal is is that if you miss two years, yes, you can get a sixth year. Um, it's not your fault you missed two years. They made a change last year, and honestly, like one of the reasons they did this was because of offensive linemen. Frequently, and maybe typically is the right word, offensive linemen will redshirt their first year on campus, which means if they miss a year, that means they're out two years. 
and they don't get that, that six year back, which isn't really fair. So what they've done to the rule is say, if you miss two years, yes, you can have a six year. If injuries rob you of two seasons, you can have a six year. Um, however, if you redshirt for developmental purposes your first year, like an offensive lineman, and you lose a season or more to injury, you can get an, exed, uh, an extra year. They call that a clock extension. Um, you get a five-year clock. When you first start your career, you have five years to play four seasons. You can get a clock extension if, whether by injury or redshirting your first year and the subsequent injury that wipes out a second year, um, you can get a fifth year back. I think this is silly because I don't think Sills is coming back for his sixth year. I think that if he comes back next year, that's it for him. He'll have graduated and done five years in college football and probably done and proved all he needs to prove. Um, whether or not he comes back next year, that's another conversation for another day. But the whole six-year conversation is kind of silly, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there were discussions about him being a potential NFL prospect after this season. Um, obviously, that was under the assumption that he would be healthy for the whole year and have a good year. Um, so him being hurt might actually give West Virginia another year that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So, yeah, the six-year seems pointless to discuss. Good point. I like that. Spinning on him, Chris. Well done. <laughs> One guy who is coming back, Vandarius Cowan. Uh, you can hear the chimes and the harpsichord and the horns because the savior has arrived, apparently. Uh, I have no idea what to expect from him. I'm not positive what position he'll play even i think he'll be a bandit maybe he's a mike i don't know uh kind of quiet on that it sounds like but he's playing he is as impressive a talent and a physical player as there is on the defense it would seem just based on what we saw and heard in the summer and the spring but that was when his head was screwed on right which sometimes it's not always the case with him it sounds like we don't know him haven't talked to him haven't really seen him so it's hard to get a real gauge on what to expect so let me ask you, Chris, what do you expect? <laughs> uh, God, I don't know. I I think I'd – or if you would ask me before the year, I would have liked him inside. I would have liked him at Mike. But I feel like – and you'll probably know the answer to this better than I do – that the coaching staff is not entirely – or Vic, Vic Koning is, is not entirely pleased with the production from the bandit position so far. Because for me, when we were first hearing about this defense and the scheme and these new, quote, new positions like the Bandit, it screamed to me that the Bandit was this guy who could, was just going to wreak havoc all over the field, was going to, could, if you put the right player there, he could rack up double-digit sacks and tackles for loss and just be an absolute terror. And it hasn't been that at all for West Virginia so far. And they've tried a few different people there. So I, I think, uh, you know, like you said, we haven't heard anything from the staff about what the plan is for Callen, but my impression is that he'll probably get a ton of reps there and maybe even first string reps just to test him out. And I think that's where we're going to see him first. Yeah. They catch a break with the schedule. They're off this week. He's suspended for four games, but he's eligible as soon as that's up to play, which means he can practice. He has been practicing. There's no ban on practicing, but now he can go in and really get become part of the game plan because they know he's going to play in the next game. So he has a runway to use two weeks for one game. That's great. He's not going to make up for four weeks loss, but he's going to be better than he was if they had one week to prep. What will help him out even more is that they're only going to go with their good guys for about an hour a day. 
um, for three days this week. And the rest of the time, they're going to run guys who don't play very much, if at all, and see what happens. So he's going to get a lot of work done this week just to see where he's at. I think they'll plant him somewhere after the end of the week and let him grow from there. But I don't think it'd be a surprise to see him playing early in that game against Texas on October 5th, just so he's not waiting on the sideline and losing his mind, uh, overexcited, too hyped up or whatever. And I would not be surprised if he comes around the edge and makes a play, at least threatens the pocket uh, early on just because he just seems like he has that type of potential. He's exciting. Yes. Yes, he is. And physically imposing, I think, I'm with you. I think there are going to be a couple plays where he's just going to wow everybody with just his physical ability and how fast he gets there. And then there's probably going to be a couple plays where maybe the fans don't see it and maybe we, uh, the media, don't see it as it happens. But his overexcitement, and lack of experience as far as game actual game time goes is going to get him out of position and it's going to give up a big play or make somebody else on the defense look bad. And the coaches are going to see that. And I don't think it's going to be just a clear, he comes right in and boom, he's starting and amazing and getting a lot of reps. So I think there's going to be some miscues like that to go with the amazing uh, jaw dropping plays. West Virginia is 4-0 in coin tosses this year and has deferred every time in the second half. They're never going to lose a coin toss in the Neil Brown era, I'm convinced, so I'm going to assume that they will win the toss against Texas and defer. Cowan is going to be on my kickoff team. I like it. I do. Throw, throw him in right away. Let him go down there. Work it out. I don't care if you get out of your lane. Just blow up a, a blocker, knock a tight end over, maybe make a play. But you know what? Go out and like just get yourself running moving huffing and puffing and then you know if it look if it works and like he's he's doing something good or whatever get him in there soon but i got him on the kickoff team and going down and blowing somebody up if he's ready to go if he's not i don't know i think working outside is a good idea for him too uh not to say he's not capable of playing middle but middle is a really involved position um with so many responsibilities and things you have to do and see band it's a little bit more just like go get the ball which is probably what they'll max him out with here is you know you know play some snaps for real or whatever but like we really want you to go get the quarterback or tackle the running back and Hey, try to stay within the scheme, but like we understand that's going to take some time. Um, I think there's a way for him to be an impact player. I got nothing else to add there. I just wanted to hang. I just want to let it hang for a few minutes. <laughs> no, I I agree. I, I think what do you think? It just third down bandit guy uh, against te- Texas mostly, and, and yeah. kickoff specialist, of course. <laughs> I think. The first or couple, first maybe third and long, whatever you could see him, but I think at some point in the game you'll see him in those pass down packages. Um, I just think he's gonna, it's gonna grow from where he is the first game. Um, I'm sure that West Virginia wants to win the game and probably go with the guys who got him to this point of three and one, but I think there are spots you can get him in there and have him do something. And I don't know, maybe he plays, you know, an end position. Maybe they get back to four down and he can answer some, he can answer some rush hand as like a, a hand on the ground guy and go. Uh, last one here, then we'll run. Um, Neil Brown says that there will be. Probably two receivers who will not redshirt now, Ollie Jennings and Winston Wright. Winston Wright looks like he's overtaken Tevin Bush now. Um, I think the snaps are 41 to 7. 41 snaps for Winston Wright, 7 for Tevin Bush, I believe. Uh, Jennings was maybe their best outside receiver. So those two are going to keep playing, it sounds like. Uh, they're halfway to the four games. Um, six other true freshmen are at four games already. So it sounds like they're going to 
excuse me, four other true freshmen are at four games. It sounds like they're going to play and not redshirt six true freshmen. But this rule is interesting. You can play any combination of four games. It does not have to be the first four or last four or even in order. And it sounds like there are people who could get on the field at some point for one game. I don't think for more than four, but maybe up to four. Um, Look in your crystal ball here, Chris. Anybody you think appear and make an impact. And again, it doesn't have to be from the freshman class. They have a couple guys who are upperclassmen who haven't played yet and who are eligible. So I was looking at your list, your red shirt tracker. For those who prefer the written word, go to earsports.com and check out the red shirt tracker. Mike broke it all down for you. Uh, Who's played, who hasn't, how many games, who's likely to stay there, who's not. And for me, you mentioned the six, the six freshmen that have already played. And I don't, think there's any way that all like any of them are not going to play again their red shirts are gone all right that's cornerback uh, nick troy fortune safeties carrie martin tyke smith and defensive lineman jordan jefferson in addition to the two receivers because i was i was on the fence about right i think he i mean obviously not knowing what the coaches are seeing in practice or what's going on with tevin bush i kind of had this feeling that Tevin Bush got his one-game suspension. Wright got in there for that one game, and then maybe we see Wright a little bit more uh, a game here or there throughout the year if somebody gets hurt or whatnot, but Wright might end up still redshirting. And then he just takes all of Tevin Bush's snaps this past week, which to me is a sign, as you mentioned, that he's playing. That's it. Uh, you know, He's going for the rest of the year. So uh, going down the rest of the list, the only one that really sticks out to me as someone who could play this year, actually two guys, depending on who, I think one of them's a little ahead of the other, cornerback uh, Tay Mayo. Um, because right now, in this in this most recent game against Kansas, West Virginia went with three cornerbacks, and that was it. That won't happen all year long. Not in the uh, Big 12. By the way, the, they only played two. Oh, did I don't Fortune think Fortune Oh, he God. played. I think he played special teams. I think I think those two played every snap. Yeah, he was in the game, so I guess he just played special special teams. But that's it. So you're not getting through the Big Twelve with that. That's I mean that's that's great that they were out there and they were both uh, solid. I think they're actually very good. I think some of the issues with uh, pass defense were more on the safeties and, and a couple other issues, but they've been solid this year. But the two of them cannot cannot defend the pass all year long throughout the Big 12 against the real offenses that they're going to face coming up because Kansas pass offense is not what they're going to see later. Other guys have to play. And yes, I think Detroit Fortune will play more at cornerback just like he did the first three games, but they might have to turn to somebody else. Maybe they move Josh Norwood back over to corner at some times or go with certain packages where the safeties can line up like corners. But I think you'll probably see Tay Mayo get in a couple more games. Um, the other corner I was thinking of was DeCorey Turner, but I, I just I believe Mayo's ahead of him, and, and I'm not sure he'll get in. Yeah, the two that interest me is that I just keep hearing their names, and it's in the it's in the cone of you're only going to see them for four games. But Parker Moore and Brandon Yates, they have not played a backup tackle this season, like which is amazing, but they haven't played. I, I really think that Wickline and McKibbitts for sure have played every snap, which is outlandish. Um, but Moore and Yates seem like they're ahead of 
Tyler Thurmond. Probably just Tyler Thurmond, but that also brings into the question, they don't have a lot of tackles. It's Junior Rizabu, Tyler Thurmond, Parker Moore, Brandon Yates, and it sounds like Yates and Moore are doing really good on these Monday night practices. I'm assuming they'll get a lot of run this week because they're in that group of players who don't play any practice time. I would not at all be surprised to see them subbing in near the end of Big 12 play, which is wild to think about true freshman playing, but also a great benefit of this rule. Yeah, I, I was pretty stunned. You know, I think Coach Brown had said today that um, Junior Zabu had, had been running as that third tackle, although he hasn't played. But when we saw, you know, who was on, who was traveling with West Virginia on Saturday, uh, it was Parker Moore was the was one of the ten line offensive okay. linemen, which was that that was the most surprising kind of change for me because he he wasn't on there the previous time. Uh, we had heard a little bit about him. And then obviously the coaches had talked up Brandon Yates for his performance too. So I'm with you. I think, yeah, those guys, either one of those guys could play later in the year. Cause some, just like a cornerback asking two guys at a position to play every single snap for the entire year is not feasible. All right. Here comes the spiciest question. When hmm. I, when I initially turned this in, I said, Hey Chris, I'm done have a look at it and let me know if I forgot anybody. I did the red shirt tracker and I looked at players who hadn't, hadn't played. Hey, did I forget anybody? And you pointed out the obvious one that I completely forgot about, but it's impossible to have this conversation even at three and one without asking about the potential to red shirt or not red shirt, but probably still red shirt. Jared Daigie. Does he play? Oh, God, that's a tough one. So here's my answer, because I don't – yes, he does. Because I'm not sure – You do, I don't think he plays basically at all unless West Virginia is, say, four and six or three and seven or something something along those lines. Um, ah, man. Four and six, you can still make a bowl game, though. Yeah, you can still. I, I think. I think you're going to see him at some point. If if quarterback play struggles, mm-hmm. obviously, I think you you got to give him a couple games. But do you put him in if West Virginia is let's let's say five and two or six and two after getting somehow going two and two or six and three? Five and three. Somebody give me some math help here. Five and three. Say West Virginia goes two and two in the month of October, which I think would be very good. Wins over Iowa State, win and a win over Baylor at Baylor, losses to Texas and Oklahoma. Do you still turn to Daggy or do you kind of ride it out for the rest of the year? No. Why would you take why would you take Kendall out if you're winning your five and two and you just beat No, if you're you five beat, and if you're five and three and you're winning because of your defense basically. Oh, oh, and now you're couching. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh no. I, I'm redshirting Daggy no matter what. Well, yeah, no, no. I mean five so five and three, there's only four games left. So you're still you got four games, you can still redshirt him. So f- five and three or four and four. And the offense is just I don't. I don't think he can. I don't think he can play him with a winning record after the eighth game. I think he got to wait till nine because let's let's say they're five and four, right? Um, there's a chance you do and don't make a bowl game, but if he goes three and zero oh and you finish eight and four and you have a bowl game, 
that's good. Now, if oh, you play, yeah. I if forgot you play about him, the bowl game aspect. Right. If, if you play out his four games after the 12th game and you go back in, are you going to put Kendall back in? Right. Or are you going to burn Diggy's redshirt? You're not. I understand that. So, like, I don't think he can play before the ninth game. Honestly, I don't. Like, and, and now if they're under 500, if they are, uh, if they're two and six, I'm just saying, that's six and six then. See? So that's, I mean, they, they pretty much have to play him after the ninth game right now, right? Yeah, because you can't be two and six if you're three and one. So that's not going to work. Three and seven is the tenth game, so he could be playing then. So I mean, he's pretty much barring like an outbreak of mono. He's, he's redshirting for sure. Uh, I, right. I I can't see him getting starts though, unless something just goes terribly wrong. Um, I don't think that there's a reason he can't play, but that just seems like it's so unusual. That just to play a guy because he can play in the regular season, it just seems so strange and so obtuse. But think about how we started this podcast today, talking about players who <laughs> are going to retro and come back. I mean, everything is on the table right now. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, now that my math's all messed up, I can't even count to 13. That's throwing me through a loop because I thought it was, for me, and, and hey, my, what, $3 million a year in, in – life is not on the line here or my career is not on the line here. But if my team were say five and four and the offense was just, you know, not great and it hasn't been great so far and and this continued or maybe even got worse and West Virginia sitting at five and four and I'm looking at every day of practice and Jared Diggy, assuming again, assuming we don't get to see practice that Jared Diggy's over there slinging it all around practice and looking good. I'm handing the keys over. Even if they are five and four, um, it, it can't get, you know, the, like taking the uh, the mindset of, hey, the offense is struggling, can't be worse. Let's give it a go. He's getting all the scout team reps right now. He's like their scout team QB, um, him and Trent Jackson, global traveler Trent Jackson. I hope he's getting Marriott points for this. I really do, Trent <laughs> Jackson. Otherwise, this is, a, this is a crazy adventure, man. But he's getting that. Uh, action on scout team because I don't think they want to play him right now. He's not going to go in before the other two quarterbacks. You got to get backup reps. And even then you're talking like 80, 20 and probably the 20% is probably even a little bit high because of how much Kendall has to learn as far as like starter and backup reps. I do wonder if or when Dakey does get some backup reps or even one reps. I wonder if that'll happen. That's when you kind of look at things a little bit differently because maybe that's in a couple of weeks. I think he's going to get playing time this week for sure um, in practice, but I wonder Maybe after the Oklahoma game, for example, they start to give him some reps and see what he can do. In the event that, you know, they do want to see him on the field in a series, uh, in a package, who knows? Uh, perhaps they have a two-point conversion play where they run him on the field at some point. Well, it depends. Will he know or will Neil Brown be cussing into a play sheet again? <laughs> will he, be, will he be, be by his side and ready to go in? Hey, and you were right. You caught it. You said he and and Neil Brown touched on it today. He said that he told everybody we're going for two if we score. They scored, and the unit to go for two was not out there. Yeah. By the way, uh, I'm going to write about this. But how do you feel that the reason it didn't happen was because they called timeout and Candace guessed the play they were going to call because apparently Brown ran that a lot at Troy. Well, that's what I was about to ask you. I, I mean, obviously coaches do this. They have assistants of assistants and video guys who go back and cut up old tape. Mm-hmm. of all the two-point plays and all the plays they run on third and three and and so on and so forth. So it, my question, if it is something that they ran a lot, somebody tell your boy Neil to mix it up, get a new two-point play, because if Les Miles 
is figuring you out, you got a problem. Well, I will tell him. <laughs> We're having lunch at Yama this afternoon. So I'll bring it up. I'm sure he's going to be forthright with this response and he'll probably score in a two-point play at some point mm-hmm. this season. Well, so much for our 20-minute podcast, Chris. We've gone far beyond again, but plenty to talk about. Even on the off week, I'm glad we both made it this time. This is good. Yeah, we got some exciting stuff going up, obviously, uh, by week, but we have um, some good content coming up on the site. We're going to have some recruiting news going on. Obviously, coaches are going to be out visiting recruits. Uh, it's an evaluation period, so they can go see some of their top targets this week. Uh, we'll have some kind of looking back on the first, quote, trimester of the year, uh, some grades for position stuff, uh, some questions, some concerns, and I don't want to say who I might be getting on the podcast because I got to make sure we can do it. But you might have some special guests coming on too, right? Yeah, I don't want to say who they are either because oh. uh, I haven't heard from one of them, and the other one is kind of like trying to get the schedule. But they'll they'll be appealing, I'm sure. Yours okay. is yours might get top billing though too. Well, we'll see. We got to figure out if these if these kids know how to use uh, Skype or if they can teach me how to use whatever cool uh, you know recording stuff that they use. The big question is, can they use VIP Plus? <laughs> uh, I don't know if they can afford it, Mike. If you don't know what it is, you can't afford it. Hey, come back later today. I did talk to both coaches about their thoughts on ESPN Plus. I got some uh, ratings data from ESPN that I'll sprinkle in the story. So um, that'll be up later on today. But that is all we're going to give you this time. I will see you next time. So will this person right here. I'm Chris Anderson. I made a mess of that. I'm Mike Casaza. We'll try better next time.